Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. I'm a software engineer and a dad and a husband, and I love my life. But uh, 38 years ago, I was in a band called Siren, and we were going to take over the heavy metal world. Siren stuff, it's metal. It's that classic 80s rock metal. It just felt like we're destined for something, which kind of catapulted us into a different world. Obviously, there was some conflicting opinions on on what, what we wanted to do. I was done with Siren. Walked away, put down the sticks, never played another band again, and uh, just, I guess it ended with a question mark. I received a handful of, of messages from people in different countries. Hey, are you Ed Aborn, the, the drummer for the old heavy metal band Siren? It never turned out that the band played here in, in, uh, in Europe. You're, you're telling me that the dream is now going to have a chance to come true, even for a weekend, to be flown to Europe to see thousands of people in front of me and play the songs that I spent years and years rehearsing. That would be amazing. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 316. Out now on digital and DVD Blu-ray is I'm Too Old For His Shit, a heavy metal fairy tale, a documentary that chronicles the unlikely comeback of cult American heavy metal band Siren, who reunite 30 years after infighting broke up the band. A warts and all chronicle of a rock and roll dream become a reality. I'm Too Old For This Shit is a must-see not only for metal fans, but for those who have ever dared to dream. And joining me now is the director of the film, Mr. Nathan Mowry. Nathan, I thank you very, very much for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Honored to be here. So... You know, there's a line in the film where you say to the camera, I think it's when you were with the band in Germany, that the last time that Siren played a gig, you weren't even born yet. And yes. in, with that in context, how exactly did you kind of get involved with the whole story about Siren and their unlikely comeback? Was, there ever, was that ever a band was ever on your radar or did you only first hear about them when this project came to you? Yeah, it's uh so I, I'm actually a, a pretty big like metal fan, but I, I had no idea about Siren at all up until this project. Um, it was through uh, Chris Jericho, who's uh, somebody that I work with a lot and I do music videos for his band Fozzie. And uh, he um, like uh, hit me up one day and he said that he was having a conversation with his friend Ed Aborn, who's one of the main characters in this, and yeah. started telling him about how he started getting all these, uh, or he got this email saying that they, uh, that they wanted Siren, his old band from high school to play this big German metal festival. And then Jericho was like, Whoa, I didn't even know that was like a thing. And that sounds mm-hmm. crazy. And then he hit me up and he's like, Hey, I think you should start, you know, maybe this could be a documentary. And so I would just, uh, I talked to Ed on the phone a little bit and then I just started making trips down to Florida and just capturing it as it went on just to see what could happen. Um, the interesting interesting thing about Chris Jericho, and this is the first time he kind of dives into the world of, of filmmaking as a producer, I've heard him say in interviews that this story could have gone two ways. It could be an absolute triumph or it could be kind of like spinal tap levels of disaster. Yeah. Um, 
when you're first, you know, getting in touch with Ed and you're filming these guys and they're getting together, and, and let's just keep in mind, a lot of these guys haven't picked up an instrument in like 30 years. That spinal tap kind of thing there, that kind of, is that something that was constantly looming kind of like over the presence that this could be kind of like something that um, could be turned very tragic very soon? Yeah, I, I, I kind of approached it as just kind of being a fly on the wall. I just wanted to keep rolling my camera and just see what happens. That's the thing because, you know, we actually have a definite end for this documentary, but we had no idea going into it what to expect. Like, like what, what if like this festival is not what it say it is? Like what if it's not even real? What if the mm. fans don't care? Like what if it's like there's four people there? You know, there's like a, there's just like a lot. So there's a lot to, uh, you know, um, that was left to to mystery that was just the adventure of figuring it out as we went along. So, um, but yeah, it was either, I was hoping it either has to be really, really good or really, really bad. It would just be the worst if it was just kind of okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just kind of hoping that it would go one way or the other. And thankfully it went a more positive way, which is good because I really like all those guys and they deserve all the good in the world. You know, what brought this whole thing together was, I think it was a, a Facebook message to, to Ed, and it was from a guy from Germany, and he's affectionately known as Frankie Metalhead. And he's kind of like been, like throughout the film, he's kind of like this almost saving grace, kind of like an angel hovering over a band whenever they're in a rut, especially like when they're in Germany and about to get ready for the festival. He's always there. He's the guy that they kind of rely on. Um, it's clearly, he he's a very resourceful gentleman, and, and, he, and he knows his way around the entertainment industry to the point where they can take this band as long defunct for so long and take him to a festival. Who exactly is Frankie? Can you explain it to us, who this man is? Yeah, so uh, Frank Hernshaw, Frank Headbanger. We, uh, Frank Headbanger, okay. Yeah, so Frank Headbanger, he was like, uh, he like loved, from what I understand, he was just like a massive <laughs> siren fan from back in the day, back in the 80s, and it was his dream to see Siren play live. Like that's what he wanted more than anything. And unfortunately didn't get the opportunity, but then uh, like uh, then miraculously people just started reaching out to Ed just on Facebook and being like, Hey, are you, uh, were you in Siren and stuff like that? And then uh, Frank uh, reached out to him and was a big fan of that band and, and uh, hit up the promoter of the keep it true festival in Germany and I uh, said, hey, like, uh, we need to, uh, like, you, got, you guys need to have Siren play your festival. And that, uh, and the, the Keep It True Festival is also kind of prides itself on putting together, like, acts that are kind of, uh, like, hard to find or put together and stuff like that. So it was a really cool uh, concept for a festival. So it's just, yeah, the way it came about was just nuts. They're kind of like the Tarantino of heavy metal festivals, aren't they? they yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's to get this ball kind of rolling, there has to be kind of some kind of reconciliation between a lot of these band members. <clears throat> Two, especially, um, you spoke before about Ed Aborn, who's the drummer of the band, the founding member, and like a main songwriter. And then there's Doug Lee, who's the front man. And there's clearly source of friction between them to really kind of like make this whole thing kind of go away. Um, they come together. Do they come together the first time in like decades on camera? Was that you catching them together for the first time, kind of like getting together and like kind of mending that relationship? Ish. It was kind of like I think they were already they were already like uh, you know friends, and so they met prior to me showing up, and so it was still early back on in their I guess rekindled uh, relationship that I was catching that. So it was still early stages. It was a little bit past when uh, they met. So it was just, I was uh, mainly just capturing the kind of just, you know, 
slight like awkwardness or whatever there, there could have been mm. as they uh, started growing, you know, going back to together. And I think that's the cool part about this is that it shows like a really cool, uh, you know, rekindling of friendships and, and stuff, not just uh, old dreams, but also just old relationships that, you know, that you've, uh, that you've missed such as old friends. So it's a, it's sweet in that regard. You know, Speaking about awkward, capturing awkward on screen, I'm sure those first rehearsals would have been very awkward because I mentioned before they haven't picked up instruments in a long time. I think Doug was doing some stuff, um, uh, but uh, Ed, from all accounts, was just he left that life behind and so a lot of other members as well. What were those first um, rehearsals like? Was this kind of like riding a bike? Did they get back into it straight away? Or was there some? Is there a feeling out process there? Yeah, I feel like it. from what I uh, was able to capture and see, it just felt like... Uh, I'm sure there was a little hiccups trying to get back. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of these guys haven't played in 30 plus years, you know? So, uh, but you know, like, uh, Ed still has like drums. So he's still kind of like, you know, played around and stuff. And Todd, who was a guitarist, he's like a guitar teacher. So he's always like, uh, playing and everything. So they had a pretty good, um, like group of guys that still knew how to, you know, how to turn it on and play. So it, uh, I don't think it was, uh, too rough, but the whole, um, the aspect of you know traveling and being in a metal band performing and all those other aspects that that, that little bit more more so was uh, a challenge than uh, actually and, and speaking of which, they had to travel over to Germany. Um, is this the first time that a lot of these guys have been outside of America? Yeah, you know, and it, it's one of those things. It's also the first time like uh, like they've experienced like a, a post nine eleven um, airport in, in America and everything. You know, and it's uh, just super uh strict security and like you just capture like some of this uh todd for instance just having this moment of like man the world's changed so much since mm. I, I was younger and i can't just walk up to uh you know my airplane i have to go through all the security and stuff and yeah just uh just small things like that that you know they're just living in a you know a different time or just really so it's a real good fish out of water tale too so it's you know like uh language barriers and luckily we had a uh, Frank and his wife um, there to kind of help us and show us around. Otherwise we all would have gotten lost. <laughs> With my first question in regards to you not being born since their last gig, we kind of established that kind of like an age difference here. Yeah. You're stuck on a plane with a group of like 50 year old guys going over to Germany. You're going to did a kind of, you know, and this is long past their days of like sex, drugs, and rock and roll as well. These days is like prescription, prescription glasses and like medication of different sorts. Did it kind of feel like you were hanging out with your uncles in a certain way when you were with them? Yes, that's literally what it felt like. It felt like, because uh, I've, you know, I've been on tours and I've done stuff for like rock bands and stuff, but this felt less like going on like a tour and more like going on vacation with my family, you mm. know? <laughs> so it, they're, and they're all just like really warm, uh, warm guys. So I clicked with them really fast and uh, became friends with them. So it was a really cool thing to be a part of this journey and seeing guys that are just, you know, just very, just big sweethearts, you know, get something, you know, good out of, uh, out of life. So it was, it was fun, but yeah, it felt, definitely felt like I was hanging out with my, my uncles in Germany. <laughs> you know, great bands and great band documentaries need characters and, and this film isn't short of that. I think the most memorable character is the bass player, Greg Culbertson. And he's the one that's actually, for anyone who um, can see the uh, the movie poster, he's the one that's like the fists up in the air holding his bass guitar, uh, looking like a metal god. 
And uh, the thing about Greg, he's, he's certainly the wanderer of the band. He manages to really kind of disappear like a stealth ninja um, throughout the movie. Is, was there any idea of what kind of lured Greg away so many kind of times from the band? And do you have any idea, um, considering the band are so good with merch, that they'll ever make a shirt that says, where is Greg? Okay, yeah, for, like I definitely want to make a shirt that says, where's Greg? Because that was like... He, so he gets lost a lot in the movie. And the funny thing is he got lost even more than I actually showed in the movie because <laughs> I couldn't like, cause it would be like, all right, we get this joke. We get the bit. Like he gets lost. And I was like, I have so much more footage of just Greg getting lost. And he's just like, he's just full of like childlike wonder. Like he'll just see something and wander off and just get really excited and kind of, you know, uh, get separated from us really easy. So, uh, but he's like one of the most sweetest, most wholesome human beings like I've ever met. So seeing him uh, get this excited and how much it meant to him uh, getting back in this band and getting to play the show he even was moved to like tears at one point. And mm. it was, uh, but yeah, he was just such a character. So funny. He legit kept getting lost. And um, yeah, there was like one part where he like uh, found a cat and this cat, like uh, he just started following this cat and he was like, yeah, this cat was just giving me a tour. He was really nice. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> I can go back over there one day, share a beer with that cat and do that same tour all over again. And so he's just the sweetest man ever. So yeah, very, Trav very easy to find. Traveling over to Germany for the Keeper True Festival, the word time machine was brought up quite a bit from the members of the band in regards to the festival and the vibe there. And for people who, who don't know, and explained it's rather well in, in the documentary, uh, the, the German heavy metal fan is almost kind of like a purist kind of mentality in regards to the music itself. Um, you know, and it, you've been a metal fan for a long time. I'm a metal fan for a long time. There's always that kind of label of like true metal, false metal, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, Siren definitely fall into the, the thing of, you know, true metal, that kind of maiden, priest, accept kind of vibe of stuff. Being there amongst that community of metalheads, what was that experience like? Because, like, you've heard the word time machine. You yourself can't really apply that because considering you weren't in that scene back then, how did you kind of see the whole metal scene out there and how does it compare to, say, the United States metal scene? It's, yeah, like, being a, you know, an American, you know, heavy metal fan is, is one thing. You know, we all we love um, heavy metal here in America, but the Germans, they are on a different level. I, I it, Like, I, I wasn't alive in the 80s, so I can't really attest to what... <laughs> that uh looked like but but it legit just felt like i was in a like an 80s movie like a rock and roll movie because everybody like was dressed up like they looked the part they all were just as metal with the leather jackets they're all smoking cigarettes had the big poofy 80s hair and just they're all just drinking and getting crazy it was uh they were just they were so serious about it they've looked they know every band like all the like just diehards i've never seen somebody so passionate for anything than than the german fans were for for heavy metal it's just this was like their uh the big thing every every year for them to go go to this festival and they were they were the real deal so i was kind of like blown away it was just the most insane people watching of my entire life there's actually one part where um like next to where the festival was happening there was like a soccer field mm. and There was like a bunch of kids having like a scrimmage. They like were playing like a game of soccer. And uh, 
like all these heavy metal fans from the festival kind of just were drunkenly wa- like wandered over there and were in the bleachers and they were just going insane for these kids, like just cheering and drinking and chanting and the kids were loving it. And the fans, uh, the metal fans were loving it. It was uh man. It was a sight to see. It was just the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> Nathan, if you could be Frankie headbanger for one moment and wave, your magic wand and bring together a band, a long defunct band that you loved back in the day. And let's say the members are still alive and you can bring them back together. Which band would that be? Like me personally, a band I've never seen that I used to, that I was a big fan of back in the day was Skid Row. And like a lot of the guys are still alive. They could do it. It's not going to happen. I don't ever think, but if I could make that happen, I would. What about yourself, Nathan? There's a band you could bring back together, Siren Style. who, Who would it be? That's a really good question. Um, so this is like, this is kind of a lesser known band, but here in uh, America, especially here in uh, Georgia, where I'm at, in the Atlanta, Georgia area, there's a band called The Chariot. And they were a uh, kind of like a hardcore kind of punk band kind of out of this area. And they got a pretty decent following, almost a cult following. And like, they were my favorite band and they had me rethink uh, art and uh, just being a creative and stuff. I have multiple tattoos of this band. Like if you could see, like it's on my arm and yeah. multiple lyrics, like that was my all time favorite band. And uh, they broke up back in 2013 and I w- was lucky enough to go to their final show. They had like a rope swing, like uh, for people to crowd surf and stuff with. So it was a really rowdy time, but definitely that band for sure. That's like definitely one of my uh, all time favorites. You know, a word that's, used quite a bit in a documentary by I think Ed especially um, and Doug as well kept saying that was the word fate that there was it just seemed like this was meant to be and look one thing you can really kind of example you can use of this is that this was before COVID as well you know if this happened like six seven months that email from Frankie didn't only came like six seven months afterwards there's no traveling over to Germany it's not going to happen you know these guys aren't getting back together um, when looking back in hindsight and all that kind of stuff, how, do you, I don't know, you know, everyone's got their different opinions on that kind of thing, but do you think there's something kind of bigger happening here that could bring these guys back together? Um, and even if it wasn't, it was just cool to see them back get back together anyway, even if it's just circumstantial. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really good question because it's like, uh, like just me being a fly on the wall, just kind of watching everything just fall into place. It was crazy. It it unfolded like an actual movie would have. And I'm just like, there was times where I was holding my camera and just like, man, I can't believe this is like actually happening. This is perfect. (laughs) This is such good for the story, but it was so many just different coincidences of uh, just Doug and Ed happened to uh, reconnect. And uh, then they get that email and then they get the, the opportunity to play in Germany. And then when we go over to Germany, we run into like a, this other person who was speaking English and we asked like where they were from. And they said they were from Valrico, Florida, which was like the same town basically that, uh, that Ed lives in. And then mm. they were like, Oh man, we're halfway like we're on like a different part of the world. And here's somebody that lives a mile away from you. So it's kind of just all these really, really small things. So it, it just kind of felt right. And even before we even got to uh, the festival, I just had a gut feeling it was going to go very, very well. And when we showed up to the festival that immediately we ran into a fan who was like hit banging on like the, the uh, window and stuff to see everybody. And that's when I was like, okay, this is, this is happening. This is going to be a good, good time. 
and it does go well and the movie itself is fantastic and it's so great to see Siren get back together and like you know myself big heavy metal fan didn't know of Siren beforehand but afterwards I'm being on a bit of a like a Siren kick actually uh going back trying to listen to all the old stuff I even watched the um the raw footage from their performance at the Keeper True Festival as well and that was fantastic and it was just so, so good to see him back together and Nathan you just did such a great job here with the documentary and for everyone out there um the documentary is available on digital in the stage you get it on DVD Blu-ray as well for Amazon and other places and I really recommend people check it out you don't have to be a metal fan you just have to love a really good story and this is a great story here and Nathan Mowry I thank you very much for your time and congrats with the documentary thank you very much I appreciate it man